Love the commas. Love the apostrophes. Love the colons and the question marks. Love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, Lita. No, no, Lita. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. We're in Studio One, but we have a digital space. And it's a it's a special uh, day for us today because we're interviewing, talking to three experts on Chicago literature. And we're going to talk about um, this wonderful new book that uh, is it came out a few months ago, Chicago, a literary history. Um, we're going to be exploring the, his, the history of, of Chicago in, in literary terms, but also maybe looking at comparisons between our city, Leeds and Chicago. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to introduce who we've got in the room. We've got Tony Macaluso, our director here at Chapel FM. Hello, Tony. Hello. Hello. So Tony's actually in the room, but uh, we've got Frederick Bern-Colet, who is, who's, where are you, Frederick? I am in Norwich. So not so far away, but we also have Bill Savage, who is in Chicago, I believe, Bill. Well, Evanston, which is the most uh, adjacent suburb. Um, That's where I was staying, actually, when I was in Chicago. Right. So you were in Chicago land, we like to call it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, if, yeah, Tony, if, if you could just introduce yourself to begin with and, and what, what you do here in this building. Yeah, well, three and a half years ago, it is now I moved from Chicago to Leeds to Yorkshire. And uh, I have to say, as a lifelong Chicago, and I lived away for a few stretches, but I was a bit heartbroken. But 20 years, I was pretty steeped in Chicago life and culture, in particular uh, a guy who we'll talk about a bit later on, a radio host, oral historian, but just love and still do love Chicago. So my one, one of my few consolations about being away from Chicago, well, one is Leeds is a great city, but also that I get to be an ambassador for Chicago in, in Yorkshire, which is always leads to interesting adventures. So yeah, so in a way I'm a link between uh, this project and uh, yeah. Leeds. Absolutely. Bill, tell us if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your connection to the book. Sure, well, um, <clears throat> I'm a lifelong Chicagoan, uh, wrote my dissertation about Nelson Algren, um, who I didn't write about in my essay, which is always a good sign. Um, and my connection with the book, um, I, I teach Chicago literature, history, and culture at Northwestern University and at the Newbury Library of Chicago. Um, I do a lot of freelancing. I do a lot of, uh, you know, sort of introductory introductions to books, things like that. Um, and I was approached by, by Frederick via email and just asked if I wanted to write an essay about the future of Chicago literature for this collection. Um, and then consulted a little bit about other people. Like I believe Tony got in because he needed someone to write about studs. And I said, I think I know the guy. This being yeah, Chicago, right. yeah, the essence of Chicago is not just who do you know, but who, who do you know knows. Right. Um, and I was really in, in taken with the, the topic that, that Frederick asked me to take on, which was the future of Chicago literature, because how often can you write something where you can't be wrong? It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> um, so that's that's my connection. Um, I'm acquainted with a number of the writers um, written about in the book, as well as a few of the other scholars who wrote for it. Um, and I'm just delighted to be part of it. I think it's it's a monumental um, accomplishment and is going to be a standard text for a generation. Absolutely. And uh, Bill, uh, yeah, you've written a very beautiful uh, final chapter. But, uh, the last section, uh, the last page, I, I will, I warn you, uh, be asking you if you've got a book handy there to, to read that out, if you don't mind. Um, it's good. He's showing us. He's has a also, I also can show you there's a connection to Leeds. Um, this collection, Nelson Algren, an essay collection, um, edited by Robert Ward, came out of the very first International Symposium on Algren, which didn't happen in Chicago. It happened at the University of Leeds. So there's an organic connection 
between Chicago scholarship, maybe in my mind, Chicago's greatest novelist, and uh, where you guys are sitting right now. So, so what, what year was that, Bill? Uh, the book was published in 2007, and I believe the, uh, it was 2001 or, no, 2000, International Symposium, University of Leeds in June 2000. Right, brilliant. Thank so, you very much. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be hearing um, certainly that, that final section, if you, you possibly read that at the end, I think. Absolutely. Be very lovely. And so, Fre Frederick Byrne Collett, yeah, you, you, you're the editor of the book, the overall editor. Tell us a bit about, about more about yeah, how you came to be doing that and your connection with the city of Chicago, if you would. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I'm originally from Denmark, uh, but went to university uh, and did my PhD in, in the US and Canada, and then um, got this job teaching American studies uh, in at the University of East Anglia in, in Norwich. So I like to joke that I'm a, a Danish person with a Canadian education teaching American studies in the UK, uh, <laughs> which I think is, is kind of this one of those things you just really can't predict when you when you start out, right? And so, um, but I also like to think that it gives me a really sort of interesting, unique, international, um, all over the place perspective on uh, on on the US. And uh, and so, um, yeah, no, I was I was anticipating this question, and uh, and I was trying to think like when was the first time I really started to think about uh, Chicago literature and and sort of the, the the particularities of it, and and I think I can trace it back to just like the first time I read uh, Theodore Dreiser's Sister Carrie as an undergrad, and and that just really kind of blew my mind in terms of how he uh, depicted the city as this like almost like overpowering force in these people's lives and and really just that they were just kind of like cocks in this like machine of of, of Chicago and I just found that really fascinating and and I don't think I really made much of it aside from that but then sort of as I you know went on um, in my studies it just Chicago kept cropping up and, and it turned out that it, just like a lot of the favorite novels I, I encountered just happened to take place in in Chicago um, Henry B. Fuller's uh, novels, uh, Robert Herrick's novels, uh, Saul Bellow, like all those types of, of writers really just, I don't know. And then I started to take, take note of this place um, that, that Chicago was occupying in, in the writings of these people and, and just found it really fascinating. And so, um, so then my first book uh, was uh, on Chicago literature and it's sort of this like very like condensed uh, overview of, of Chicago literature, just like an attempt to like, just like trace out this, this, um, this literary tradition that, that I saw um, sort of, yeah, I don't know, coming into being over the, over the 130, 40 years of, of the city's history. And, uh, and so, so that book came out, and uh, and then I was uh, I was actually approached by uh, by the press by by Cambridge um, um, because the editor there was was um, familiar with with my other book, and uh, I was doing the series on on edited volumes uh, on on the literature of American cities. So so there's a book on on New York. There's one in New Orleans. Uh, there are a few few others uh, coming out. And uh, and he was looking for someone um, to to edit um, a volume on on Chicago, and so he he approached me, and and I was really excited to 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 get this opportunity and to really dig into that in a in a in a different way. That's great, thank you. Um, so I'm gonna first of all, um, for people who don't know Chicago as a city, uh, there's an interesting. In fact, it's your quoting you, Frederick. You say Chicago is the most American city. And I'm interested in that. And I wonder wh whether each of you could just reflect on that a bit. Tony, I wonder if I could start with you. Yeah, well, I had an interesting experience because I, I hadn't been back to Chicago in about two and a half years up until just a little over a month ago, two months ago. So I'd never been away from the city that long before, but thanks to COVID, uh, I had a bit of exile imposed on me. And so being back there in December, I was able to see it with fresh eyes in a way that I never anticipated. I never imagined I'd be away from it from so, for so long. And just quickly, what, what struck me, and it was in my imagination, but experiencing it was there's just something about the space of the city. And I think it's the endless lake, and especially in the winter when everything's covered in ice, almost producing a kind of horizontal vertigo, right? And this enormous prairie around it, just this sense of 
vastness being on the edge of, you know, and imagining when Chicago was settled in the 1830s or earlier with Fort Dearborn and all the rest, but when it started to be built as a city. And then this almost obsessive compulsion to build up verticality, you know, the first, arguably the first city in the world that built skyscrapers um, and just this intense infrastructure and digging the caissons down into the swamplands and this contradiction and then the straight, straight streets and just this almost inhuman scales of things. And then within that, of course, people carving out these village-like neighborhoods based on you know, the immigrant ethnic groups that they came from. Um, and so, yeah, there's this harshness and contradiction and you can't help but feel a little bit of, we are cogs in these big urban machines, but by being more aware of that, actually, I think you get a literature that then is in, contradictorily more human because we're not in denial about the fact that we're living in this giant, you know, ant hive of, 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 of infrastructure. And so once you come to terms with that, then you can, you know, do the Algren kind of thing and the Gwendolyn Brooks kind of thing and find the humanity in that place. Bill, the most American city. Yeah. Well, what, what would you say? And why, if that is, I'm rather, I'm, a, I'm sort of giving you a quote by, by Frederick. <laughs> I'm going to ask well, you to justify it in a minute. It's not, yeah, just sorry, that, not just, I mean, it's Frederick's line um, in the introduction, but it's it echoes things said by uh, Salbello, by by uh, the least likely person you might think, Colonel McCormick, the arch conservative owner of the Chicago Tribune in the uh, same holiday magazine in 1951, where the first version of Nelson Algren's City on the Make was published. He has an essay and says uh, Chicago is and always has been the center of Americanism mm -hmm. in the United States. And of course, I need a response is Boston, Philadelphia. It seems to me that there was some Americanism going on before Chicago was anything but a, a swamp. Um, I'm personally, I like to take that idea of Chicago as the most American city and treat it in, in two different senses, a historical sense and a rhetorical sense. The historical sense, um, and here I'll just say my mentor, Carl Smith, another great uh, scholar of Chicago literature, not as another me, really great, but him, Frederick, lots of people. Um, he's like, you know, what went on in Chicago? Immigration, industrialization, um, various kinds of technological innovation was happening at cities all across America, but it happened in Chicago more so. Like the city, uh, cities were growing full of immigrants and opening factories, but Chicago grew first and grew faster. And in, innovations like the disassembly line of the Union Stockyards that later became the assembly line of Ford Motor Company um, and the home of the, the very machines that transformed America from an agricultural to an industrial um, or an urban economy, the McCormick's Reaper put so many country boys out of work that they went to the city looking for work and got work in the factories building the machines that put them out of work in the country. So there's this historical reality to it. And you know, Chicago is the shock city of the 19th century, and several of the essays in, in this collection address that. Um, and then, of course, the decline of Chicago after the war as the sort of weight of Americanism moves to the South and the West, the, uh, you know, union-busting states, right-to-work states, and the places enabled by air conditioning and automobiles, essentially. Um, so that there's, in that historical way, Chicago is indeed, like, the quintessential American, American example. You could explain to aliens from outer space the history of America in most of the 19th and all the 20th centuries just using Chicago. So that's the historical side. The rhetorical side, it's very much a gesture toward um, Chicago exceptionalism, like American exceptionalism. You know, is Pittsburgh's just as American as Chicago, but Pittsburgh doesn't have this literary tradition that Chicago has. Mm. And so there's this rhetorical, the fact that and again, this is in the volume as well, you know, the influence of Chicago um, publishers on the rise of modernism, um, on realism, what I call realism without moralism, the Dreiser School, um, plain language poetry with Sandberg. All of that happened, be referencing what Tony said a minute ago, because the city was this unprecedented thing and no one knew how to deal with it. Like, what can you say about this place? Picture Henry James trying to write about Chicago. <laughs> you know, his head would explode. He just couldn't do it. Or you know, some of the, the more traditional poets of the East would not have been able to get their heads around this place. So hog butcher for the world, right? It's, you know, Sister Carrie coming to town from Wisconsin. These things are the rhetorical way in which Chicago is, you know, expresses some kind of essential Americanism or American identity. 
Um, and they're not unrelated, but the rhetorical side terms can turn into this other thing, this kind of uh, not just exceptionalism, but boosterism that is really part of the Chicago tradition, right? Um, Chicago, the biggest, the best, the, the et cetraist. Um, my favorite example that actually you might appreciate this, the, uh, it was a, a journalist named Kenan Heiss, who for many years in Chicago had a column in one of the newspapers that's now defunct, that was basically like a Chicago history answers to questions column. And people would call in and ask him stuff. And he writes about one guy calling in and asking him, is the Sears Tower the tallest building in Chicago? And this is back in the 70s. He responds, the Sears Tower is the tallest building in the world. And the guy on the phone says, yeah, 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 but is it the tallest building in Chicago? <laughs> like, so to me, that just, that expresses this, this crazy Chicago that as a lifer in this town, I just sort of grew up with among or amidst. And then as a thinker about the city, I have to kind of try to parse it. So that's my overly long take. Feel free to edit. <laughs> oh, great. And well, Frederick, yeah, we're going to hear some music in a minute, which your choice, Frederick. But uh, first of all, yeah, if you could perhaps, yeah, comment on this idea of Chicago being the most American city in the world and how that sort of resonates with you. By the way, I, I just wanted, to, in terms of the growth of Chicago, I was staggered. I, had, I mean, I had no idea, but 1833, 300 people sort of camped in the swamps. By 1893, one million. I mean, that is extraordinary, isn't it? By any joke. No wonder um, it's a city of extremes. But Frederick, mm -hmm. yeah, how about you? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of exactly it, I guess. And also to to continue um, um, on on Bill's uh, line of thought there, right? It's it's about the the speed and the scale uh, of what happened in in Chicago, right? Like the population uh, grew faster than any other American city. The the, the sky, skyscrapers were taller. The you know the the slums were worse. The the um, the stockyards were larger. Like everything was just at a bigger scale, and often at a more inhuman scale. Also, right? And and like the yeah the the living conditions were were worse. The the you know the fortunes were larger. The 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 mansions were bigger. You know the all everything just seemed to be exaggerated from from yeah Boston, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, those other kinds of places that are you know as American of course in in well in every way really right and of course it's a bit of hyperbole to say it's the most American city but but really I think that that's what distinguishes the the, the Chicago experience right is that sense of here's something that is that is um, in some ways even sort of like out of control right because like there's there's very little um, reigning the Zen, right? Uh, and, and so it's 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 this extraordinary phenomenon around the the turn of the um, turn of the turn of the twentieth century, where where really you have all these people also from other parts of the U.S. coming to Chicago to sort of see like ah, like what you know which way the, the the wind is blowing and like you know what is the future of of America and and so so Bill was saying you know we can't really imagine like Henry James like writing about about Chicago, like his head was exploded, right? And and but we have someone like Henry Adams, uh, who um, who who came to Chicago and literally, like, not literally, that's not the mistake <laughs> I want to make, but like his head kind of did explode, right? Like he <laughs> he had that 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 completely sort of alienating sense of like attending the World's Fair and just being like, I am old and outdated, and the world is young and new and powerful and 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 I can't keep up, right? That's sort of the the experience one gets from reading his autobiography. Um, so, so really, it is that that sense of 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 sort of being at the forefront of 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 the culture in in many ways, and and being at the the extreme of the culture, right? And let me, can, if I can, just back up one thing Frederick just said, and refer back to your opening. Um, you know, the the insider point of view that someone from this place has just sort of absorbs and in maturing is really, it has to be balanced by the outsider point of view. Mm -hmm. And so Henry Adams, Oscar Wilde, uh, Rudyard Kipling, mm -hmm. Chicago has a great tradition of people from elsewhere coming here and going, holy, fill in the blank, look <laughs> at this place. Mm -hmm. um, including Mark Twain. Mark Twain said, you know, you, when you go back to Chicago, it's always someplace new. And he's talking in the period right after the fire. Um, so I think that, that the point of view Frederick and, and so many of the writers in this volume bring being taking that, that point of view that isn't the insider, oh, I know my precinct captain, you know, 
blah, blah, that is so much a part of Chicago's culture is absolutely essential. Uh, you need the distance from the place uh, very often in order to truly grasp it. And maybe that also explains why so many of, of the city's writers are the most, I don't know, the, the most well-known or the most successful writers came from elsewhere, right? Like they, you needed that outside of perspective to really sort of fully grasp and, and come to terms with, with what was going on there. So, so that's one of the quintessential Chicago experiences, right? Is that like the, the journey to Chicago, like seeing the, I don't know, being on the train, seeing the city, uh, sort of- Smelling the city. Smelling the city, that comes up a lot, right? Uh, and, uh, and then arriving and being like lost in this like mass of people and you can't find your way around and it's overpowering and completely confusing. And then you sort of start to, to find your way into it after a while. Well, as an outsider visiting Chicago, 10 years ago, I relate to all that stuff. I could not believe it. Uh, but um, Frederick, if we could, are we going to dig after, into, after this music, we're going to dig into the themes of uh, Chicago literature as, as, okay. as much as we can do in uh, the time we have. But I do recommend that you, you get hold of the book, Chicago, A Literary History, which is what we're talking about today. So Frederick, you were going to choose a, 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 a track by Serfian Stevens for us. Which one, one is that? Uh, oh, now I forget that it's a very long and complicated title. Um, what is it? I guess come on, feel the Illinois. Yeah, well, is that the, yeah, that's the title of the song and then part one and part two and all that. But I, I chose this, uh, this song because it really is about that um, sort of cultural, uh, I guess, presence of Chicago in, uh, in, in, in the US, right? Like all these sort of, associations we have with uh, whether it's the World's Fair or um, or all the other things that well you'll hear what he what he thinks about but um, but also it's, it's just a it's from his record um, uh, just called uh, Illinois and that came out right around the time that I was writing the first book uh, on on Chicago so so it kind of there's this moment of like oh Chicago is kind of everywhere in my life right now and and so uh, so I think that's well, that's one of the reasons I, I, I chose this uh, this time. just heard uh, Sophie and Stevens there, um, chosen by Frederick Bryn, uh, Bern Collett. Sorry, Frederick, trying to get your name. It's all right. <laughs> um, and uh, we're talking about Chicago. We've been talking about the city and, and the extraordinary place that it is and the, the Americanness of it. But um, yeah, I mean, as much as it's possible to do that here in this abbreviated space, it'd be just lovely to talk a bit about the themes of which, which are our multi multivarious but um tony i mean you, you've written about studs turkel in, in in your chapter and he and the the many the many voices he had the many roles he had and in a way the sort of the, his sort of multi-variety mirrors the kind of material of chicago which is so so extraordinarily varied but you, could you tell some say something about for you what the sort of the themes of of chicago literature are yeah well i grew up just outside of Chicago in the suburbs. So I sort of saw Chicago from that strange vantage. My parents and grandparents were all Chicagoans and then they fled in the, in the 1970s to the 
the promise of suburbia. And for me, my first connection to Chicago literature was through newspapers, because there were still this kind of last golden age, perhaps a sort of daily newspaper columnists, so it was Mike Royko and people like that, who had, you know, they came from a really deep tradition that goes way back to the, into the 19th century, and, uh, you know, John Peter Finley Dunn and all kinds of other people, and then people like Studs on the radio, and so from the time I was an early teenager, you would start, and then starting to go into the city and explore, and by the time I was 16, when my friends and I had cars, we'd go into bookstores and theaters and drink lots of coffee. And the fact that writers and this kind of literary infrastructure was so present, I mean, you could, I mean, it was hard to not run into Studs Terkel because he'd pop up all everywhere, you know, introducing things, any kind of protest, he'd be out there on the front lines, barricades. But, and then through that, there were, I mean, writers were just, I mean, you just felt like they had a, and they were commenting on political issues and, you know, the daily administrations. I mean, there was, there was just a sense that, that literature was, as much a part of the city as the as the CTA trains, it was part of the infrastructure. So, yeah, that was my first. And then from that, you know, one encounter would quickly lead to others. And there was a in Chicago theater, which I, I think is important to say is such a huge part of the literature of the city too, because Chicago has something like two hundred storefront theaters, which means and a lot of them doing original work, which means you have a huge number of writers that are that are maybe not making a living by writing for the theater, but are certainly, well, they're definitely not in almost all cases, but there's a lot of, you know, first front contact with, with you know, living writers. You know, writers went from being a mythical thing that you, you know, you read about in high school English to suddenly they were a species as present as, you know, post office workers and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, taxi cab drivers. And responding very much to what was happening there in the city. I mean, it's interesting, somebody yeah. mentions the fact that uh, many of the, the greatest of the Chicago writers were journalists, first mm. and and uh, that seems to me about yeah res responding to to the present to the present moment mm. um i mean chicago's again i get somebody talks about in the in the book chicago being about one of the most written about cities in oh. uh, america mm. bill uh, well, yeah go for it <laughs> well no uh, you can ask your question i was just uh gonna back oh. that up no, go. I'd love to hear what you say about that. Well, I think it was Carlo Rotella who, who mentioned that in his essay about Stuart Dybeck and the, the new neighbor, new literature of neighborhoods in Chicago. Um, this is, and this is one of the ways that you can make the exceptional claim for the city. The academic uh, discourse of sociology was founded here at the University of Chicago by people who are trying to figure this place out. And then, as Carla Capetti wrote in her great book, you know, there's there's sort of this. DNA helix of sociological studies influencing novelists and novelists influencing sociological studies. And so much of the Chicago tradition involves this kind of realism on the ground, what's going on right now, which is generated both by journalism and by scholarship. Um, so there is that sense. And I just want to back up uh, Tony's point about like writers being a real place. You know, I went in, I met Mike Royko one day in the Billy Goat just because I happened to walk in for a beer when he was there in the afternoon. Once Studs Terkel introduced me to my own mother. <laughs> um, this is a great story. I'll, I'll make it as quick as I can. So in 1999, we put out the 50th anniversary edition of May Out the Golden Arm, and I co-edited that. And there was a big event in New York City. The uh, publisher flew people in, and I, Studs, who I have one degree of separation from, he was like best man at one of my best friend's weddings sort of thing. He was on stage there that day, and you know we met briefly in the crowd. Carlo was there, a bunch of people. And then years later at uh, Looking Glass Theater, um, the play about Algren called Nelson Algren, uh, the final night there was going to be a talk back after the show and I was going to one of the speakers and so was Studs. At this point, Studs is deaf as a post. Um, I don't know how he'd manage to do radio with big amplifiers. But I show up at this event with my mom and a few other family members and my mother was the biggest Turkle fan on the planet. She read everything he wrote. She's like, oh my God, it's Studs. I'm like, come on, I'll introduce you. And so I walk over with my mother and I go up to and I say, hey, I, I get his attention because he's deaf. He says, Bill Savage, great to see you. Turns, takes my hand in his, turns to my mother, puts my hand in her, says, do you know Bill Savage? And then he just keeps walking. He hardly broke stride. But this was, this is Stud's instinct is to connect people. I think one thing we, we're assuming certain a certain knowledge perhaps that we shouldn't assume. Tony, in in like two sentences, could you just say who Studs Circle was? Yeah. Okay. So uh, 
Stud Circle to a lot of people around the world outside of Chicago, even Chicago is known as, as one of the founders of this kind of popular oral history. He wrote about 14 oral history books. Uh, working is, is, is maybe the best known, talking, gathering stories of people in all sorts of different thematic things. But he also hosted a daily radio show for, for 45 years where he interviewed 5,000 some people and everything from and, you know, Martin Luther King and Simone de Beauvoir and, and the absolute, you know, legends of 20th century culture to lots mm -hmm. of just uncelebrated people. So double, yeah. double hat and just general person around town, booster of, of other Chicago culture mm -hmm. and literature. And he actually invented some of the earliest TV shows where yeah. Stud helped invent the genre of the sitcom, um, unscripted television show, but it got blacklisted because he was refused to take a loyalty oath. Um, so absolutely central to the Chicago literary tradition and the, the Chicago cultural tradition in general. Just to, Frederick, if I could ask you about this, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's you, if, if this is your quote, but the, in the book, I did read the encounter between the individual and the city is central to the Chicago experience, the individual and the city, particularly the built environment, the, the, the sheer cityness of it. Perhaps you could talk about, about that and the kind of the, the writers who exemplify that most. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah, I think it goes with, with what both um, Bill and Tony were saying. Um, and it has to do with that uh, attempt to, to make sense at this, this new kind of urban, uh, urban environment, right? Try to find out like, what does this mean? How, how, what does it mean for, for people? What does it mean for culture? What does it mean for, for America, right? That, that there is this sort of like novel extreme uh, city. And, uh, and so, so a lot of the uh, literature written about Chicago really dramatizes that, that, that sort of encounter and that, that conflict of the individual, um, coming to the city, losing their way, trying to sort of negotiate uh, a path through to this overwhelming uh, environment and figuring out like how to, I don't know, make, yeah, make their own path in, in an environment that is often indifferent and cold and, 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 and uncaring, right? So, so sort of the classic uh, novels in that vein are, are probably things like, yeah, Sister Carrie by, by Theodore Dreiser about a sort of young, a uh, woman coming to to the city from where does she come from somewhere Wisconsin. in Wisconsin is Wisconsin yeah and, uh, and um and and sort of ending up um, having some successes and and then she ends up on the you know a star on the on the New York stage and so that's another theme of 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 Chicago that comes up uh, a lot in literature is that sort of sense of, of Chicago as being like a place that you go to, but then ultimately also often leave. Uh, and, and so that's a theme in, in, in my introduction to the book. It's a sense of Chicago as like a, a crossroads or, or a, a place where people go for, for you know, an education, whether it's a formal education, there are novels where, uh, you know, young farm girls go to Chicago to train as opera singers and that kind of thing, but, but also a more sort of um, general sense of, of an education, right, an, an education in, in, in life, in, 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 in just modern America, right, like what does it mean to, to exist in, in, in America, uh, and, and how, how can Chicago help you figure that out? So, uh, thank you very much, Frederick. I mean, there's, yeah, we, there are so many names we could mention, but as I say, I would drive you towards the book. But Bill, yeah, I, I, one of the things I really enjoyed about your chapter was you was your, uh, you know, looking at the the inf what you call the infrastructure of a city and how for writers and a writing scene, for writers to be able to write a sort of textual city, they need to exist to survive in a city and there needs to be a sort of structure for that all sorts of stuff like bookshops you know universities the cafes where people meet places like this you know the equivalent in in in, in chicago in a city so maybe you could say a bit about that and how that is at the moment in chicago oh great so yeah um this is an idea that i, I developed over a number of years of teaching chicago literature where i noticed how often chicago writers wrote about the physical infrastructure of the city how much of Chicago is about factories and streets and railroads and uh, the ways that people and money and energy circulate through the, the built environment. And then it just, 
you know, I don't dawned on me, occurred to me. Like there's there's a parallel sort of uh, infrastructure through which creative energy moves. You can have, you can be, be the best novelist in the history of the world. And if you write your book and it never gets published, it doesn't, it doesn't exist for all practical purposes. And you can write the best novel ever and get it published. But if it's not in a bookstore or a library, uh, it doesn't get a public reading at a bar or a cafe. If it isn't, there isn't an audience willing to buy it and read it. And maybe it's not the best novel in the world. It's your first novel. But then they give you a chance at a second novel. And you like Nelson Ogden's first novel is terrible. Don't bother. Let me just say that up front. Um, so you've got this uh, sort of system of cultural institutions that function to channel this creative energy. Uh, universities, where writers can work as faculty, where they can teach uh, the work of themselves and other writers, and where students can learn about this stuff. And I mean, not even universities, high schools. I mean, I've, I first encountered Chicago literature at, in high school at St. Ignatius on the West Side. I read City on the Make, and it, it mentioned my neighborhood. I'd never seen Rogers Park mentioned in a book before. <laughs> it felt like, wow, I'm alive. Um, my place exists. Um, again, publishers and Chicago, this contemporary scene, I think Chicago's exemplary. We've got uh, university publishers, uh, Chicago, Northwestern, Loyola, uh, Northern Illinois all have presses. And I work at the University of Chicago Press, so I say this with affection. Publishing a book with UFC Press is like launching the space shuttle. It takes a long time and you got to get it exactly right. Um, meanwhile, we have Haymarket Books, which can turn around a collection of poetry in six weeks and publish something like uh, um, uh, Eve Ewing's 1919 poems or um, Kevin Koval's more SH blank T Chief Keef won't put up with. Um, and just do that like on the spot, responding to the contemporary politics, responding to the art scene of, of rap, responding to the historical moment of the anniversary of the 1919 race riots that shaped this city so profoundly. Um, we still have a, a vibrant bookstore culture, even though it struggles due to COVID. Um, we've got a, a live lit scene that's, un, to my knowledge, unparalleled. And some of this stuff has to do with just the scale that has been mentioned already. Um, because we're a big city with a lot of big institutions, writers have advantages here. Um, you can get on that live lit stage and, and perform your work when no one's heard of you because you show up at Martyrs on a Thursday night and it's open mic night. And then maybe someone in the audience hears of you and is like, I like that. And I've, I've run a blog and let's publish your, that story there. And then it can snowball. I mean, I've edited two books that started out as blogs at the University of Chicago Press. It's just, things are constantly churning. And the energy, one thing that distinguishes Chicago and this uh, Richard Christensen recently passed on the longtime theater critic for the Tribune wrote about this in his book, uh, Theater of Our Own, um, that Chicago has a sense of ensemble. People work together and don't put, put the art ahead of the ego very frequently, not always. But most importantly, Chicago has generous audiences. Um, and here, Christensen cites lots of theater people saying, you know, in New York or LA, you fail and that's it, you're done. In Chicago, you fail and people say, that was interesting, what's next? <laughs> and so this, this kind of, energy and it extends into the world of scholarship. I mean, I don't, I don't think Chicago would have as this, the, the book that, that Fredericks just edited would not be as great as it was if that energy didn't extend beyond the boundaries of the city hmm. through scholarship, through journalism, through things like this, this radio show and podcast all over the place. And let me also say, I think American studies approaches uh, in uh, the UK, Europe and uh, Australasia are fascinating. They're interested in so many things that in, like why was the first international conference on Nelson Algren at Leeds? Because scholars in the UK were really into Algren when scholars in the USA were not, and still are not, frankly. Um, so I think this, this is what I mean by that literary infrastructure. And you can look around any small, any college town has it too. You know, the, there's a cafe that'll do poetry readings and that's the seed from which countless writers grow. That's really made me think about uh, Leeds, our own city, in regard to, you know, infrastructure for for writing and for writers. Uh, of course, you know, that, that infrastructure is also created by writers. You know, people writers set up cafes, set up bookshops, whatever, you know, publishers. But it's, um, Bill, if we could just ask you uh, for your choice of of of, uh, of track. I think you chose a Liz Fair 
Oh, right. Um, so I picked uh, Stratford on Guy, a song from Liz Fair's, I think, 1991 or 92 album, Exile in Guyville. And the reason I picked it was, you know, when, when Tony said, pick a Chicago song, I'm like, there's a rut. It's Frank Sinatra. It's Muddy Waters. Love that stuff. But let's think beyond that, because that's what Frederick did editing this book. This is not a book that repeats the old ways of thinking about Chicago or Chicago literature. So you think about Chicago music, you know, the transformation of uh, Nelson Algren's near Northwest side into Wicker Park, a kind of gentrified arts, first an artist, arty scene that then gets gentrified out of existence, of course. Um, and uh, Fair's title is about the fact that it was a, a scene dominated by men, uh, by bands run by men, by bars run by men. <clears throat> and as a woman artist, she felt exiled. Uh, she also hugely ambitious. You don't go naming your first album after maybe the best Rolling Stones album, unless you've got some chops. Um, and the image at the beginning of the poem of, or the song, with poem, poem song, whatever, yeah. of flying into Chicago at night mm -hmm. and looking down and seeing the grid. That is a, a 1990s version of Sister Carrie taking the train in, of the Rudkuses arriving by train from New York all these stories of coming to Chicago. So that's why I picked this song. Um, it's just, it's also a great album. Um, if you want to know what Chicago is like in the late 80s, early 90s, you can do worse than listen to Liz Fair. I was flying into Chicago at night, watching the lake turn the sky into blue-green smoke. The sun was setting. to Love the Words and we're talking to three experts on Chicago literature about this wonderful book Chicago A Literary History edited by Frederick uh, Byrne Collett who is with us from East Anglia. We've got Bill Savage from Chicago and we've got Tony here, uh, Tony McAleese in Leeds with us. So um, you've given us a fantastic overview or a kind of flavour of Chicago as a city and also a flavour of the literature and, and they obviously match and they go together. Literature is a response to the environment, that uh, extraordinary environment of the city of Chicago. Tony, I'm going to ask you an awkward question. Mm -hmm. If for, 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 for listeners in this country who perhaps are strangers to some of the more obscure Chicago literature that is featured in this book, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying it is obscure, but it's probably obscure to us. It might be well known to people who live there. Is there a writer who you would recommend to people to find? Yeah. Well, one that I give out, we've mentioned Algren, so I won't do that. But one that, one that I give a lot is, is uh, the, the books of Stuart Dybeck, uh, especially these, these, these interconnected. Oh, I think I took Bill's, Bill's choice as well. But you can, <laughs> these interconnected story collections like The Coast of Chicago uh, and others that I think are some of the best short stories that I've read anywhere, anywhere. And every time I'm back in Chicago or missing Chicago or go back, it's one of the things that I grab just because there's, there's sentences in, that, in, his, in his work that just that just, uh, yeah, get me in the soul, in the gut every time. So, um, and then I'll throw out my backup, backup choice. I think uh, we haven't talked much about race in the city, but if people that don't know Gwendolyn Brooks, um, she's somebody I underappreciated under until recently. I think I took Bill's other choice. Uh, but in the last few years, I've gone back and read her stuff again. And it's really complex and interesting what she does with language. So the, one of the most important 
poets in Chicago and an amazing key figure in African-American literature throughout the country, let's say. Thanks very much, Tony. And <laughs> a particular book by Gwendolyn? Uh, I, um, in the Mecca is a really interesting one. It's about a, a big apartment building and a search for a lost uh, young girl. And it's this kind of very almost James Joycean kind of Ulysses kind of thing of moving in and out of all these different apartments and voices and people and interconnected lives. It's a really strange, gorgeous, and, and kind of, there's a kind of empathy through the book that that's, that's really powerful. Great. Thank you very much, Tony. So I'm going to put that rather invidious uh, choice to you as well, Frederick, if you could come up with, yeah, a writer and a backup. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think, um, well, Bill was uh, talking about earlier um, how the book sort of tries to get out of this rut of, of, of Chicago uh, literature. And so that really was one of the, or like of description of Chicago literature, right? And, uh, and that was one of the motivations behind the book was to try to see, okay, like how can we uh, explore these notions of, of what Chicago literature um, is or, or was. And, um, and so I invited uh, uh, people to contribute uh, um, chapters on, on all kinds of, you know, there's a chapter on, um, on sort of early theater in the city and the, the birth of the little theater movement. Um, there are chapters that, that sort of provide like really new um, innovative engagement with established writers like um, James T. Farrell and, and, and other people like that. Um, and then in my own chapter, aside from my uh, from my introduction, I write about a uh, graphic novelist uh, called Chris Ware. And uh, in my sort of other life, when I don't um, think about and, and and write about Chicago literature, I do a lot of work on on comics and graphic novels. And so, so it was sort of this like um, almost like a, I don't know. I like to call it like the crossover event of my my career here to to like combine these two things. And uh, and and so. I wrote about, and especially, uh, well, I wrote about this um, graphic novelist called Chris Ware, and especially his novel or graphic novel um, called Jimmy Corrigan, The Smartest Kid on Earth. And uh, and it's a really wonderful, um, I think, introduction to both Chicago, the city, and to sort of all these themes that, that we've been talking about, because it really is this multi-generational uh, narrative that that is set in, in three different time periods. And, and you follow this family through, um, yeah, I don't know, 80, 80 something years. Um, and it goes back to the World's Columbian Exposition in 1893, which was a sort of World's Fair that is seen as a very um, important event in the city's early history. So there are scenes set there, there are scenes set in, in the sort of modern day uh, suburbs and the modern day inner city. Like it's just really all encompassing in, in terms of, of what it really tries to do for, um, for the city. So, so yeah, I'd really recommend uh, checking that out. It's a really wonderful, wonderful um, graphic novel. And so I guess my backup choice would maybe be, um, um, I don't know, maybe Richard Wright's Native Son, which, which I've always just really um, has, has struck me as, as one of the most powerful novels in, in American literary history. Every time I, I go back and, and read that, it just sort of hits me right in the, right in the, the, the stomach, right? Just it completely just defeats me every time. Um, and uh, so it's a book set in the in the black ghetto uh, in uh, in the 1840s, and uh, and it's about sort of just the city as as a you know as a well, as a city made by white people for white people, and it's about um, this this uh, black protagonist who's trying to 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 find his his way and his his humanity uh, in that, um, and uh, and one of sort of the big shocks and, and innovations of the book is that he does that through um, some horrendous activities including murder and and, uh, and, and well, other things um, but but that is sort of what's left for him in in Chicago it's like one of the only ways that he can express himself is through this like almost creative act of 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 murder um, so really sort of like a thought-provoking uh, novel that that again I think sits really centrally at at um, in, in Chicago literature. Thanks, Frederick. Thanks very much indeed. Finally, uh, Bill, you've had all your choices <laughs> taken by other people, but well, quick on actually, your. <laughs> actually, that gives me that gives me freedom to to go down different paths. I'm not going to do one and a backup. I'm going to do a tie for first. Yeah. It's uh, two contemporary uh, women writers in Chicago, Rebecca Mackay, mm. 
whose novel, The Great Believers, is about the, uh, the AIDS crisis in Chicago and is simply a knockout, an absolute masterpiece. Um, um, and then the second writer, equal status, but also illustrates some of the uh, things we've been talking about up till now, uh, Eve L. Ewing, who is a sociologist at the University of Chicago and wrote a book called Ghosts in the Schoolyard about the closure of a whole bunch of uh, African-American high schools in Chicago and about structural racism and how it works, but is also a poet. Um, her first book, Electric Arches, an Afrofuturist uh, set of poems. And then I've already mentioned her book about 1919 about the race riots that shaped Chicago so profoundly. She also wrote comic books. Mm -hmm. She wrote a character named Ironheart, who was like, who's an African-American kid from the South Side who builds her own Iron Man suit mm -hmm. and ends up with a lab at, at MIT where like the Dean brings in dignitaries and supervillains attack. I mean, just such range she has. And if, if someone wanna understand what's going on in Chicago literary culture right now, uh, those two writers are both speaking to the world we're in and speaking to the history of the city. And so Mackay and Ewing. And uh, the name of the Mackay novel again? Uh, the Great Believers. Believers, I'm writing that down. Yeah, I believe I, I believe I mentioned it in my essay too. Thanks, Bill. So, um, yeah, Bill, I'm going to leave this this final word to you. Um, although we'll, Tony's also going to introduce his choice of music at the end to finish off. But you, the last uh, page or so of of this fascinating book. Uh, yeah, if you could read a few paragraphs from there about the future of Chicago writing, the future Chicago writer, who is she, he, they? So the future of Chicago writing lives in another country. His parents preparing to move here where his uncles have found work and have a home ready for them to share. He may or may not learn English right away when he arrives in Pilsen or Avondale or Rogers Park, but in whatever language he chooses, he will write fiction about the Chicago and the America he encounters in his welcoming and alienating new home. The future of Chicago writing has just moved to town for a job at a tech startup after graduating from a Midwestern university. They feel liberated, finally able to be themselves in a neighborhood with more diversity than their suburban home and family. One day they decide to check out the live lit open mic at a bar on North Halstead Street. Inspired by that evening's performers, they will begin to write essays about their journey to Chicago to explore their identity and that neighborhood. They will work up the nerve to step onto that stage for another open mic night some week soon. The future of Chicago writing takes a pen and notebook out of her backpack as she rides the 63rd Street bus to the Green Line Terminal at Ashland to commute for over an hour to her West Side High School. Daily, she writes poems about what she sees out the windows of the bus and the L train. After school, she will meet with her louder than a bomb teammates and they hope to advance to the finals this year. After that, she plans to self-publish a chapbook as she applies to college. And after that, they all together will be the future of Chicago literatures and their work will express what becomes of us. Well, congratulations to all of you on the book uh, in your different ways as contributors and Frederick as an editor. Thank you so much for joining us on Love the Words today as well. Um, and uh, yeah, well, it'd be great. We've got a living uh, sort of link with Chicago, <laughs> Tony, a resident in the building, but it would be also lovely just to, to maintain connections with you two as well. Um, but Tony, if you'd like to give us your, your piece of music, which will be the sort of summative uh, track that we hear. Sure. On well, listening to Bill talk, I decided I'm going to go with, with uh, a gospel singer, Mahalia Jackson. He was also good pals with Stens Turkle. Uh, Mahalia as well. It's a long story, but she's she's partly responsible for Martin Luther King giving the I Have a Dream speech in Washington, D.C., but we'll save that for another day. And this is a song by her called Move On Up a Little Higher. Um, and it's Mahalia. There would be no Aretha Franklin and many others if it wasn't for Mahalia Jackson. So here's Mahalia Jackson, Southside Chicago blues or gospel singer.
Love the control. Love the command. Love the space bar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. Um. 